so encouraging over there. All right. Uh, I didn't, but I'm just going to read it. And uh, this is 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. And hear the words of the living God. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, And even those that are not cannot remain hidden. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your scripture that speaks to us. That in your wisdom and in your goodness toward us, you have put your word in writing. So that we might understand it. That we might be able to come back and study it that it might be able to be translated and help spread the news of the gospel throughout the uh, nations. And, And Lord, as we have received this in English today, we have understood, would you give us spiritual understanding? Would you open the eyes of our hearts? Would you unclog our spiritual ears? Would you soften us where we are hardened and cold that we might hear the very word of the living God today together? And Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So God, would you speak? God of glory, speak. Speak to us. Your children are listening. Have mercy in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Yesterday, uh, this, is, this always happens, by the way, right? Uh, the, the catfish stomp happens. And then we have, now that we have kids, we, we have Santa with Paul in Rock Hill. It's always the same weekend. It's always the first weekend of December. That's where we were yesterday. So we took all of our crew and saw Sarah Beth's grandfather in Rock Hill. And he, it's this whole thing. Anyways, we met Santa. Okay. And if you're that, if you're that Christian, I'm sorry. Okay. I'm, I'm not trying to be offensive. Anyways. Okay. Uh, that we met, we met Santa and we did the whole Santa picture thing. And, and on the way there, this is usually every year, this trip becomes Sarah Beth and I's uh, Christmas brainstorming session, right? What are we going to do for everybody? Uh, and, uh, and we, anyway, long story short, we had this brilliant idea for somebody else in our family. And I'm not going to tell you what it is. Just, I don't think they listen to me, but they might. I don't know. Uh, they probably don't. Um, the prophet is not without honor, except for in his hometown and among his relatives. And uh, so they don't listen. Uh, but just in case, 
Uh, I'm not going to tell you. I'll tell you afterwards because it's fantastic. So we got so excited. And so she immediately gets on the Google, right? Google as we're driving. It's not me. I'm driving two hands, 10 and two, all that jazz. Uh, but she's Google and she finds it and it's at Target. So she orders it for her pickup. Okay. So we go up to Rock Hill, do the, do the Rock Hill thing. And then we decide, this was a bad idea of the day. Uh, we decide that we're going to go from Rock Hill with four hungry, tired children, and then we're going to go down, rather than coming straight home, we're going to go down into the northeast, into the abyss of traffic, and, uh, and try to do that whole thing, which we did. We went and got the pickup, and, she's, and we've never done Target pickup before, and she's getting all of the alerts on, the, on her phone, and I, there's like, like 13, I don't know how many spaces, 26 spaces reserved for this now, and we pull up into a space, and, and she's getting these alerts, and one of them says, and it's a beautiful day outside, you know? And the, and the thing says, keep your windows rolled up. And I said, you're not going to tell me what to do. So I roll my window down. <laughs> this random app on her phone is not going to tell me that I can't roll down my window. Not in the proximity of anybody else. Like, why on earth would it tell me to do that? I was so, I got kind of offended at this app that it would, and, it, and it's a silly story. Uh, and it's just, it's a silly kind of picture into my neur- neurotic mind uh, that I was offended at a, uh, app, but anyways, uh, that it, sh- it shows how often, right? If and you know this, parents, you know this. You can say you don't know it, but you know it. That the one way that you can k- guarantee that your child is not going to do the thing that you want them to do is to ask them directly to do the thing that you want them to do. <laughs> right? Hey, go do this. You know, and it, it's going to turn into something else. Is it just? It's just the preacher's kids. Okay. Um, but it's that's the. That, that's how we respond to authority. That's kind of how, how we're bent, right? Who are you to tell me what to do? The sky is blue. No, it's red. Water is wet. No, it's dry, right? We're just going to, we're going to push. We're going to push against authority. Uh, and oftentimes that shows up, and maybe that's like an American thing too. I don't know. Uh, but we, we kind of push against I'm, I'm, a, I'm a free man. I'm a free woman. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to go where I want to go. I'm going to say what I want to say. First Amendment and all that jazz. Second Amendment. Y'all settle down. But First Amendment. We love... You know, just kidding. Uh, but this shows how we, we approach authority. Uh, and, and what we do when someone tells us what to do. Right, we all, we all talk a big game at tax. You know, taxes. Maybe you're that guy. I think taxes are immoral, and I think that. And then, but but the government has a lot of has a lot of weight to make you do that thing. Right? They'll like bring your world down. Uh, you know, all they'll take all of your money. And anyway, so you so you pay your taxes even though you don't really like. Uh, maybe I'm speaking for me as only I'm the only one. Uh, <clears throat> but we have this bent against authority. And so it might feel like a weird, and particularly in the church, and particularly as Baptists in the church. Right? Baptists, I was having this conversation yesterday, not with Santa, because Santa knows his ecclesiology, but with the guy who invited Santa, who's like Paul Paul's financial advisor guy. That's how this whole thing happens. But he's an, he's a, he's an ARP church. He's in a Presbyterian church. Uh, he used to be a Baptist, and then he forsaked the narrow way, and he became a Presbyterian. And just kidding, just kidding. We love our Presbyterian brothers and sisters. And, uh, and he was asking me how decisions were happening, how, how decisions happen. Because in their, you know, in a Presbyterian church, they do things differently. We're not going to, this is not a talk 
on ecclesiology. Ecclesiology just means doctrine of the church. Um, But in a Baptist church, one of the distinctives of a Baptist church is that we are congregationally led, congregationally ruled in a way. Uh, That's why we have a business meeting. You know, in in different denominations, the congregation would not vote on the budget. They wouldn't vote on the deacons. It wouldn't be the congregation's job to vote on what happens with the building or, you know, to vote on what. And sometimes this gets us into trouble, right? If you've been a Baptist for a while, we can kind of get stuck on I'll say silly. I had another word. Silly things. And we argue about silly things that shouldn't really take up our time. Uh, But we're we're exercising something that we believe the scriptures teach about how the local church is to be run. Right. There's no one over us. There's no authority over us. uh, Right there. The SBC can't tell us what to do. The uh, Southern Baptist, Southern Baptist Convention, South Carolina Baptist Convention, our local association. Nobody tells us what to do. Woo. Uh, nobody can tell us. Nobody owns this land, right? There are churches around the state that are kind of getting into problems with other people, entities owning their land. And, uh, but we make our own decisions. But that does not mean that we are leaderless, right? This is, see, when I was preparing the sermon, I was like, Lord, this is so awkward. Because once we get into what this is saying, you're going to be like, really, Jacob? I'm like, I, it's in the Bible, y'all. This is what we got to talk about today. This is the next thing. It just so it's really just so happens where you have the budget in your hand. It just so happens that we're uh, we're going to do a a business meeting on the budget next week. okay? because basically the beginning of this, uh, let the elders and remember, elders are those. These are uh, this is elders, overseers, pastors. They're all the same office in the New Testament. Uh, There aren't there aren't bishops and then elders and then pastors. They're not different positions. They're just one this one position with different descriptors attached to them. If you're needing some evidence for this, we've talked about this a little bit, but go read Acts chapter 20. Uh, Acts chapter 20 is a great place where, where the Apostle Paul calls the elders from Ephesus, the same city that Timothy's in earlier on, but he calls them in to the, come, they come, hey, come to a beach retreat, basically, where I'm telling you I'm going to die and I'm never going to see you again. It's not your usual kind of beach retreat, but uh, he calls the elders and then he says uh, that God made them overseers to pastor, to shepherd God's people. So you see all in Acts chapter 20, elders oversee and pastor. So it's all the same position, okay? Uh, let the elders who rule well, who lead well, be considered worthy of a double honor. Remember last week we talked about how the family of God, the church is to be like a family and we're to honor, right? We, we talked about honor, your, honor, honor widows who are truly widows in verse 3, that the church has an obligation to honor financially support widows who cannot support themselves and have no family to support themselves. And how really this is, and really this section is an extension of uh, God's command to honor your father and mother. You have three, you have honor widows, you have honor elders, and then you have honor uh, slaves, honor masters in the beginning of chapter six. We're not there yet, so we'll get into all that stuff in a minute. I mean, like in future weeks. But, uh, but all of this section is really Paul working that out. Honor them. That in a lot of ways, the church is, to be, is designed by Jesus to be a society, a community of honor. Not just of honoring widows and not just honoring our fathers and mothers, which we ought to do, and honoring the elders age-wise in our midst and honoring those that we work for and honoring our church leaders, um, but 
honoring one another is really fundamental to being a part of Jesus' church, of, of operating as God would have us. You consider passages like Romans chapter 12, outdo, uh, verse 10, outdo one another in showing honor. That we have this responsibility, it's like a competition. That we should be in, not like, a, like you got good grades, but we should be an honor society where we are deferring and honoring to one another. And it should be that when you come into the church body, that there is a, a flattening. That all of the places where the, where the world would hierarchy us out, right? You make a lot of money. You have a lot of power. You have a lot of land. Everybody knows your name. Not the bar tiers, but, you know, everybody knows your name. And, and you're such a big deal over here uh, that, that the world kind of puts us and stratifies us, right? You're here, you're here, you're here, you're here, you're here. You're, you know, for some of you younger folks... Older folks, just hold on a second. Now, there, there's this thing called Instagram, right? Or, or TikTok or whatever. If you're on TikTok, just get off it. But anyways, uh, you, if you accumulate all of these followers and all of a sudden you're an influencer, right? You could be, you sit on your couch all day and you make millions of dollars by making silly videos. Uh, and then all of a sudden you've arrived that you're somehow better than everybody else who's on Instagram. Or if you're on, uh, you're on Twitter, you get a little blue check mark. Now, now you've got to pay for it. Anyways, the whole thing. But um, that we're stratified. And so that some people, the world acts like some people are worthy of more honor based on whatever. Based upon office. Based upon uh, fi- financial capabilities. What they, whatever. Fiscal earnings. Whatever. I'm trying to sound. Based on money based on position in society, based on power, based on fame, based upon athletic ability, uh, whatever. That the world kind of puts us in these levels. And so all of a sudden, like regular people are just regular people. And yet when you come into the church, the scriptures say, outdo one another in showing honor. And in fact, when it says honor widows, as the first thing that Paul hits on, he's saying you should take those who are most overlooked in society and they should be deliberately attended to in the life of the church. And we should be an honor society where we're, we're deferring one another. We're speaking respectfully to one another. We're seeking the best for one another. We're praying for one another. We're honoring one another. We're giving to one another. We're supporting one another. We're praying for one another over and over and over again. In the New Testament, here's this is where love grows legs. Honor, outdo one another in showing honor. And in fact, take special care of honoring those in the congregation of the Jesus Christ, honoring those that the world is quick to dishonor. Honor those in the context of the church that the world is quick to dishonor. Consider 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, verses 21 through uh, 26, right? The eye, this is, Paul's talking about the church as the body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on the, those parts of the body that we think less honorable, there's that word, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body. God has made the church giving greater honor to the part that 
lacked it. So that part of what happens when people are brought into the church, they're, they're elevated. Where, whatever your station is out there, it doesn't matter how much money you have, it doesn't matter how much fame you have, to be counted among Jesus' people is an elevation. Right? It's a lifting up. I don't care if you're uh, Bill Gates or Elon Musk or Aaron Judge or some, somebody else, right? Uh, Nessie, everybody's talking about, uh, not, not like Loch Ness, right? Some people, there's this game called football, uh, and there's a guy in, Ale- uh, in Argentina with his last name's Nessie, and he's a big deal. Or Messi, not Nessie, Messi. See, I don't even know. I don't even know soccer. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that whoever you are, whoever you are, to be counted upon Jesus' people is an elevation. Whether you're the President of the United States, to be, you are a son of God, you're a daughter of God, that's an elevation from whatever the world says about you. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. If one member is honored, all rejoice. How easy is it, right? How easy it is is saying that person is receiving honor. That person is receiving acknowledgement. They're receiving maybe financial support. And sometimes that twinge, that thing that would make us push against authority makes us embittered against the person that is receiving honor. And Paul through the Holy Spirit through Paul says, that's not the way it ought to be. That when one person is honored, all should rejoice. Okay. Now, let elders who rule well, elders being pastors, overseers, again, they're all operating in the same, uh, same office. Let them who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. It is without a shadow of a doubt that double honor here at least means some sort of financial remuneration. Elders who labor in the context of a local church ought to be paid. It is a, it's not, this isn't the only place in the New Testament. This is why I said it was going to be awkward, right? Okay. As an aside, right? I'm, we're blessed. You guys take care of me. You take care of my family. This is, this is not me dropping the hammer on the church. I'm just trying to preach what God's put before us, okay? So don't be like, oh, he's asking for more money. You know. Not. I promise. I want to exist without. Anyway. Uh, <clears throat> let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Literally, those who work hard in word in logos, in, in word, and in teaching. That, and, and there's a lot of little, uh, there's a lot of sinkholes that we could fall into in this text that could, that could be like, that we would just sort of fall off of the main point. All right. The main point is you should honor your leaders by supporting them financially and making sure that they're living holy lives. Here is a little, uh, a little sinkhole that's significant that we need to make, make note of. That one, Paul is writing to Timothy in a particular city in Ephesus. And in the particular singular city, there is a multiplicity. There is a plurality. There's more than one elder. Okay? The elders who rule well. This is, Paul is not writing simply a general letter. 
He's not writing a book on ecclesiology, so to speak, for, for any Christian anywhere to read. I mean, he is, but he's writing in the time and place of Timothy in Ephesus. So there's elders, plural, in singular, Ephesus. Everybody tracking so far? That means that in Ephesus, if, and maybe another way to say this, you're thinking elders are, that's a Presbyterian thing, right? No, we just, we just made fun of the Presbyterians, right? So it's not them. <laughs> just kidding. If him, I don't know if they pay attention either. But, uh, but that it's a biblical thing. The word elder is actually presbyteros, where they get Presbyterian. Uh, but before we kind of redid our four-year, there, there used to be a, uh, a letter. Maxine found all of these old documents, like, squirreled away in the, in the attic over here. Uh, and it was, we, they framed, before I got here, they framed it. And it was about the original founding of Blaney, right? And you had multiple churches, pastors from churches all over the area come together. And in the documents that were on our wall... It said that they, they, they came together as a presbytery in a Baptist church that was on the wall until the other year, okay? So I didn't, I didn't do this. Let the elders who rule well, but there's also another distinction that's made here. Not only is there, a, is there more than one elder, there's more than one pastor. There's more than one overseer, okay? In the, in the local church in Ephesus. Not only is that the fact, but there are those who are already leading well, and then there are those who labor particularly in preaching and teaching. That there's a distinguishing of those who are leading the church, who are shepherding the church, who are overseeing the church, and those who are doing that and preaching and teaching as their main ministry. It's, it's right there. That's just Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And you need to know, and I could get stuck here, this is what I mean, it's a sinkhole. It, to labor, it is a labor. Those of you who have, made, who, have been, who have preached, those of you who have preached regularly, you know. And, and ladies, I'm not trying to make light of it, okay? I know. I've been there for four childbirths. It's not a light thing. I'm not, make, I'm not making light of it. But when, you, when you're trying to preach well and pre- preach faithfully, it is like drawing up and giving birth every week. And you have no idea how your child does because I can't see your hearts. But you pray over it and you labor over it and you dig deep into it and you, you wrestle with God over it and you're struggling with the Scriptures and you're laboring. It's a, it's a work. It is a labor, hard work, blood, sweat, sometimes tears to bring forth messages that are from God's Word, preaching and teaching. So elders in the church... They're worthy of a double honor. And there are some who begrudge pastors this. There are some churches, not this one, but there are some churches that expect their pastor, when they have the means, right? Some churches have no option. I understand that. But there are some churches who have the financial means, and yet they expect their pastors to live and work at or around or under or just above the poverty line. To become an elder in the church of Jesus Christ is not to take a vow of poverty. That's not, that's not what we see in the New Testament. You shouldn't be laboring, preaching, and teaching to get rich, right? Obviously. That should be an obvious thing. But the heart of the Proverbs there in chapter 30, right? Give me, don't give me riches. Don't give me poverty. Just give me what I need. 
should be the heart of the pastor. And that should be heart of the church to be able to supply their elder, their shepherd, their pastors, their needs. Four, and then Paul brings in witnesses in verse 18. For Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. He quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 25 saying, An ox who's working the field should be able to eat of the fruit of the field. And then a fascinating thing happens when Paul quotes Jesus. When he says, Scripture says. Again, here's another little sinkhole we could fall into. Paul, by this point already, the, the New Testament writers are regarding the words of our Lord Jesus as authoritative scripture. This scripture, this, Jesus says this both in Matthew chapter 10, verse 10, and in Luke chapter 10, verse 7. The laborer deserves his wages. This is how God has made the world. That we work and we should be rewarded for our work. should be true for you and your work. It should be true for me and my work, etc., So he brings in witnesses. All right. So you have, here's how you honor an elder. You make sure that their needs are supplied financially and otherwise, as you are able. There are more than one elder in Ephesus. There are some who who are focused on leadership only, maybe, uh, who teach sometimes. And then there are some who maximize their, their, uh, their ministry in preaching and teaching. That's where we are. That's where we are thus far. Uh. So not only should you honor them financially, but you should pursue, make sure that they're holy, that they're living a life that brings honor to Christ. In verse 19, Paul kind of shifts gears from saying you should, they're worthy of a double honor to saying, do not admit a charge against an elder, except <clears throat> unless there are two to three witnesses. That a pastor in the church, right? We are put into all sorts of scenarios. All sorts of circumstances. We do our, I do my best to, to avert, to avoid. And this is, I don't have time to get into all that kind of stuff. If you want to know what that looks like, I'm, we'll talk about it. Uh, but it's very easy. And if you've paid attention these days, there's all sorts of charges that fly. Toward, and this has happened in this church before I got here. This has happened in this church before I got here where pastors are accused of things that in the end turn out not to be true. And it's so important to consider, I think it's Proverbs 18, 11, that whoever states their case first seems right until somebody else comes along and says something different. That's Jacob's paraphrase. So that whatever is charged against an elder, whatever moral failing, whatever mistake, it needs to be backed up by two to three witnesses. And this is both. This is another Old Testament reference. So Paul is drawing from the well of the Old Testament law and he's applying it to the New Testament church in a gospel-centered way. So there should be two or three witnesses and as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them. That elders, they should be honored. They should be, uh, their lives should be holy. They should be protected from false accusation. But when sin is proven and there's no repentance, They should be openly rebuked. That pastors, elders, shepherds, overseers, they are not above the law. How many, and we don't have time, right? How many televangelists have you seen that did, they had some catastrophic 
moral failing. And then they turned around with like two weeks, they're preaching again. And in fact, this is not quite that bad, but something like that has recently happened in the Southern Baptist Convention. And it needs to be called out because it's abominable, okay? Uh, if you guys, and I'm going to take a little time just to outline what's happened here, okay? Uh, there, in 2019, this big story broke in the Houston Chronicle about a serial, uh, uh, just all of these instances of sexual abuse within churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. And all of these instances where individuals would do something in one church and then they would be kind of sheltered and taken care of and then shifted to another place of ministry where they would consider, continue to uh, be a predator upon people. Uh, and, and it was just this awful thing. And it broke right before the SBC annual meeting in 2019 in Birmingham, which I made it to that one. Uh, 2020, the annual meeting didn't meet. 2021, where Sage and I went to... Um, Nashville, uh, the, the annual meeting, the messengers of the churches commissioned uh, the ex- anyways, a, a task force, a task force was formed uh, and there was a, uh, a, a outside group brought in to investigate uh, and then offer. This is what you ought to do. And in that investigation, uh, a man, a very, very, very prominent man in the Southern Baptist life named J- Johnny Hunt, who was a pastor of a church in Georgia, Woodstock, First Baptist Woodstock, or Woodstock, um, gigantic church over there. Uh, and then he retired from there, and, or whatever, and shifted into a role with the North American Mission Board. Uh, and in that time, from ministry uh, in the local church into ministry in the North American Mission Board, uh, his name popped up in this investigation. And I'm not going to get into the details of it, but basically he, had, he kind of had this uh, coercive affair uh, and it wasn't good. So he was, it kind of surfaced. He was immediately removed from the North American mission board. He was removed, which is what you should do. Uh, he was re- removed from ministry, uh, and he should have been go- undergoing discipline restoration because the gospel applies there too. Don't misunderstand me, but just because you can be forgiven of sin doesn't mean that you should be ministering in the church. It's not the same thing. Uh, and that this has just happened, right? It just surfaced this summer. Right where the findings of that were made public. And so this is June or July, maybe, where his name pops up. Uh, and so what, what are we, I mean, we're what, four, six, a few months, half a year from that. Uh, and, and he'd been removed from all of these things, removed from preaching engagements. And then just recently, his name popped up with all of these other preachers on this, uh, at a preaching event, at a preaching conference where he would be publicly ministering the word of God. And apparently there was a group of like four pastors who, you know, laid their hands on him and like recommissioned him for ministry. Dear ones, that's not how this works. Pastors are called by God. That call is recognized and affirmed by the local church, not some group of his buddies. And this matter, like the matter, and that's just a, a public, a very, very public thing, right? I, in my opinion, I'm sure, uh, I'm, I'm praying that Johnny is truly, I've been, he's been a blessing, of, he's a very compelling preacher, pastor, uh, that he should be under the care of godly counsel, godly pastors in a godly church. He should be, you know, I'm sure that he's trusting, repenting, and following Christ, all that kind of stuff. 
Um, but that, that window of time and that method of restoration to ministry is not godly. And what it lends, what it begins to communicate is that the kingdom of God is so fragile that we need big name personalities to push Jesus's ministry in this world. And that's the exact opposite of what we see in the New Testament. We see a bunch of nobodies anointed by the Holy Spirit, sincerely following Jesus, trying to live holy lives, not perfect, but living holy lives sent out by Christ. Do you know how the church went from predominantly Jewish to predominantly Gentile? Go read, I believe it's Acts chapter 12, right? The group that scatters out. And then it just says some began to preach the message in Antioch. We don't even know the names of the individuals who went from persecuted Jerusalem, stepped into Gentile ground in Antioch, and began to preach the gospel there. And God brought forth the greatest sending, missionary sending church, church planting church in the New Testament from a bunch of nobodies. Dear ones, if God grants somebody a platform, they must steward it well. But God does not need big platforms to push forth the gospel of Christ to the ends of the age and to the ends of the earth. If they persist in sin, they should be publicly rebuked so that the rest may fear. It means that the rest of the elders should fear. That there should be an accounting of what is my life. The story of Johnny Hunt, yes, it get, gets, I got some boil in my blood. But it is also scary. I've sat in his church. I've heard him preach in his church. I've heard him preach conferences. If that can happen to him, then I have to be diligent. And this is the end of chapter 4. Keep close watch, Timothy, over yourself and over your teaching. But also, not just for the elders and pastors, but for the Christian. Keep watch over your life. Proverbs 4.23 Keep watch over your heart, for from it springs the fountain of life. Watch over what you're loving. Watch over what you're watching. Watch over the attitudes that are seeping into your marriage. All of those things can be leverage points for the adversary. Keep watch. And consider those, not just the great hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, who've run the race well, but consider those who haven't. So that you can take the lesson of fear. Stand in fear in verse 20. And in verse 21, there is this solemn, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels. There's another little, uh, you know, quicksand pit that we could fall into. What in the world is an elect angel and who are they? Teaser for some sermon in the future because that's not today. Uh, But that you keep these rules without prejudging, without bias, doing nothing from partiality. There must be an unbiased approach to those who persist in sin. And this includes elders, pastors, shepherds, overseers, deacons. It also includes church members. Like discipline is not just on us. It is on everybody. This is why when when you join the church, 
here's our, here's our confession of faith. This is what we're saying we're going to believe together, what we're going to teach within the boundaries of. And here is our church covenant. This is how we agree to live together so that when if, if you step out of that and you persistently step out of what we have said, this is what the Bible teaches, this is what we say we should live together, then we have something to say, you agree to this. Your life is like this. And dear ones, those conversations, praise God, are usually closed door and there's repentance and restoration and change behind closed doors. But sometimes Matthew 18 has to happen. Right? Where you go, you go to a person individually, they've sinned, you go to them, there's no repentance. You bring two or three with you, there's no repentance. Eventually you bring it to the leadership, you bring it before the church. And you bring it before the church so that they can go and plead with that person to change their way. And if there's no repentance, then that person is to be considered as an unbeliever. Because yes, your relationship with Jesus is something between you and Jesus. But the reason that baptism was entrusted to the local church is because it's the local church's job to say, I see evidence of grace in that person's life. It's not just your feeling. This is why there are no self-appointed preachers. It's different, but it's similar. It's the, it's the church's job. So we should stand in fear and that we cannot do this. We can't hold each other accountable, pursue holiness for our leaders or for church members with bias and with partiality because un, unequal weights and measures are an abomination to the Lord. Do not take haste in laying on of hands, right? Don't ordain a leader too quickly. And this is really the rest of this, rest of this passage. Have some time where a person that you're considering to be an elder or a pastor, overseer, whatever you want to call them, have some time that you can examine their lives because the sins of some people are conspicuous. They're out in the open going before them to judgment. There's no repentance. Everybody knows that this is what this person does, says, is. But for the sins of others, they appear later. So take some time before you lay hands on somebody. And this is a lesson hard learned. Now, we haven't, we haven't ordained elders. We've ordained some, a handful of deacons. Some of those have not turned out well. The sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous. They're seen. And even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Don't be hasty laying on of hands. It is great to have a call of God. Right? We have young men in our church who, who, who have, are experiencing, feeling God's call upon their life. There's others who's, who are wrestling with it. That is not all it takes. It's not all it takes. Right? So you honor elders. You support them financially. You make sure that they're living holy lives. But you don't put elders into elder roles too quickly. It doesn't mean that young men can't be elders. But it means that immature men cannot. And that there must be time to examine their lives. That's something I'm, I've been working on. Right? We have a, a group of guys that are in this boat. And I'm kind of doing like a beta program for, a, for about a year. Where we're meeting together you know, almost weekly. Usually about three, two or three times. I mean two or three times a month. Uh, we're asking each other hard questions. We're reading things together. We're talking about things. Uh, and it's for this reason, because one, I've, and you guys know this, I feel compelled 
by Scripture, convicted by Scripture, that we should be pursuing a plurality of elders in Blaney Baptist Church. That we should have more than one elder, more than one pastor. Now, we, I know there's Sage and me, and now we have Trey. They're, they haven't been commissioned and ordained as elders, okay, in this church. And so that we have, anyways, we'll, I'll open this up later on. I, don't, I know we're at the end of the message, and some of you guys are somewhere else. And I ask you to return for the end now. <laughs> it happens. It's okay. It happens. Return to us. Um, but don't be hasty in laying on of hands. Keep yourself pure. Because there's something about when a, and this is keep yourself pure. Now, elders, pastor, Timothy, don't lay hands on somebody. Don't make them a leader too quickly. And he's talking about particularly eldership, pastorship, overseeing. Because when you ordain someone too quickly, you're participating for your part in their sins that they commit as a leader. And that's, that's a sobering, humbling thought. But not just for Timothy, but also for the church. And this is something that you guys need to be praying for. That you, you need to be praying that God would raise up, that he would call out the called. Those who are called to vocational ministry, because we know you're all called to ministry. Don't fall for that lie. Uh, for those who are called to the mission field, for those who are called to be missionary entrepreneurs and start new ministries and new missions in our context or somewhere else, pray for them. That Pray that we as a church and you as an individual would have the discernment to see who is it? Who is it that's exhibiting what it looks like to be a, a pastor? Who is it in our midst that's already doing elder stuff? Who's already shepherding and providing oversight? Who's modeling, living a, an exemplary life of following Christ? When you think about deacons, who are the ones who are already serving? Who are the ones who are already getting their hands in there and, and trying to help things run smoothly? Those are the ones that we should be looking for to be elders and deacons. Not just those that are like super charismatic, not like spiritually, but just like a magnetic personality. Not someone who's simply been in the church a long time. Not someone who's just experienced some sort of feeling deep down and within, within them, but it needs to be recognizable in the church. I tell you today, the reason by uh, God's, God's sovereignty is obviously above all, but humanly speaking, the reason I'm a pastor is that somebody in my church came to me and said, have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about going to seminary? Have you ever thought about becoming a pastor? And I was like, Heck no, I never thought about that, and I'm not going to start. And I, and I had to start. But it was because somebody else in my church, right, saw something. They saw the beginnings of what God had gifted me to do. And I praise God for that conversation. And dear ones, you have that role to play for some people in here. And that's why it's so important that you connect with one another, that you keep coming and being around each other. So that there's enough proximity to say, I see this in them. I wonder if they've ever thought about that. And you can ask them. Have you ever thought about teaching a Sunday school class? Have you ever thought about serving as we serve meals? Or have you ever thought about helping me start this ministry at the school? I see the way that you love kids. Have you ever thought about that? And for some, have you ever thought about that God might be calling you to preach the gospel? 
as your job. There's not a week goes by that I walk by that pastor sign on my door and I'm like, God, you know what you're doing? But I praise God that he called me to do this. And he's got a call on your life, whether it's to be a vocational ministry or not. And the call right now that you need to respond to is the call of Christ to trust him. And as you're responding, like there's some people in here that I think need to respond in faith to Jesus for the first time and surrender and say, I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to quit following my way, doing what I want to do. I'm going to follow Christ. But for, for others of you, you say, I'm following Jesus, and I want you to pray that. God, is there somebody in front of me that I'm missing? Is there, is there somehow that I could be, as, as part of the body of Christ, calling out the cold? Now, don't go make it up, right? Please don't do that. But, but get with God and say, is there somebody that... And, and just, you know, take an inventory of your relationships in the church. What kind of giftings do I see? What kind of passions? Is there someone that I could help stir up and spur on to love and good deeds? I want that to be the way you respond, Christian. Who is it that I can encourage on what God, to do what God has given them to do? That's your prayer. That's that's how you're responding. There might be other things you need to respond to. If there's open public sin, repent of that. If there's secret private sin, repent of that. Trust in Christ. Some of you need to trust in Jesus for the first time. But respond. We can't leave the same, dear ones. We hear the word of God. We must respond in faith. Let's pray. Lord, we give you praise today for your goodness toward us. We thank you that you've made the church to be an honor society. And we are to honor those who are vulnerable. We're to honor those who lead us. And we're to honor you by noticing the gifts that you've put in each other's lives. So would you help us to see as your people think and as your people pray right now, as we Pray now and as we sing in a minute and even as the days go on the rest of this week and the rest of this year, would they pray that you would help them call out the call, that they would be able to see and identify giftings and passions in people that they need to to pour some gasoline on, to give some encouragement that those who have that call might be able to step into what you have given them to do. But Lord, we thank you for the goodness of Jesus. We thank you that he is our elder brother. We thank you that you love us and that you have chosen to use us to further your kingdom in this world. Would you do that? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand?